our focus again this morning uh, in in a maybe renewed way or an expanded way is on Jesus again this morning, especially in this season of Lent where we look at Jesus as the one who came to give himself for us, the one who made it his uh, life's mission to redeem you and me. So we're going to look at uh, a passage this morning again from um, Mark chapter 9. Uh, we will be reading uh, verses 14 through 29 this morning. Uh, with the word of God ready to be read, will you join me again in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have ordained these words to be written down. It was, it was given to a people long, long ago that they might understand more about your Son, Jesus Christ. They have been preserved, these words, for us today so that we also might be able to grow in our understanding of the Word, both the written and the Word made flesh. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts and our minds. May the word that is planted in us this morning fall on fertile soil. So may my words be words that are reflective of the truth of your word and may what we hear from these words have their full effect in our lives again today that we might be more like our Savior Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Mark 9 at verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, this is now after Jesus and Peter, James, and John have come down from the mountain after they saw Jesus transfigured in glory before them. After they came down, uh, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it, was, it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe help my unbelief. 
And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. In this story, there is the struggle to believe. I remember uh, from a long time ago already um, that somebody had told me no one can make you feel a certain way. No one can make you feel angry. No one can make you feel happy or sad or frightened. No one can make you feel that way. You choose that. That hit me when I learned that so long ago. And I wrestled with that because doesn't somebody maybe in a dark alley pointing a gun at you, wouldn't that automatically make you fearful? Wouldn't they then have the power to automatically make you be in fear? What if somebody gave you just wonderful news, the best news you could imagine getting, and it came totally out of the blue? Would that automatically make you happy? You would think so. But maybe you are having such an awful week or an awful day that day that no matter what anybody says, I'm still stuck here. Just like the person in the alley, you might think, well, I would always be afraid in that circumstance. Then maybe that would be true. But you always have that opportunity to then look at that situation and say, you know, as much as this is a threat to me, if this is the way I end, my reward is that close to me now. You can choose to respond how you want to, to any circumstance. If somebody gives you good news or if somebody uh, points something out to you about yourself, I always hate that. When somebody tells me about my own condition at the moment, the way I'm acting or reacting. I don't like that. So I'm often uh, very guarded at that moment. But I, that's my choice. I choose to do that too. I, I choose to react because of where I'm at. We're going to look at the reactions of some people here and how it fits in with the faith that they have or don't have. And then how we are able to apply this uh, lesson of faith and believing to our own lives today. So our story um, comes after this, just this glorious 
seen up on the top of the mountain. Uh, But then Jesus and his three disciples walked down only to see a crowd in the middle of an argument. Ever walk into some of those kinds of things where you just walk into a situation and there's this argument going on? And you try to figure out uh, what the problem is? And that's what we're going to look at here a minute, trying to figure out what's the problem. Why is there this argument going on? And why, why now? Does that have any bearing on the argument or the outcome? Jesus and his three disciples were just up on the mountain uh, being shown, uh, as Jesus had said, uh, the coming kingdom and its power. And they witnessed the glory of Jesus uh, before he had risen from the dead because that's still coming. They're up there in this glorious moment and then down below at the foot of the mountain is trouble. And people are arguing. It's interesting to see what they're arguing about. But before we get to that, I, wanna, I want to see if, if this whole arguing scene, this in one place and another at the same time, if that sounds familiar, it, it brings a, a story to mind for me where God is up on the mountain showing Moses his perfect plan for his chosen people and revealing himself to Moses and giving them what they need so that they can follow him faithfully after they have already heard what God proclaimed to them all in the giving of the Ten Commandments and now Moses is up there receiving the tablets and what's going on down at the foot of the mountain? They're questioning whether the power of God is still able to save them and lead them. We don't know what happened to Moses. We need to find a leader. The words are still ringing in their ears. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in anything. And here they are, having been uh, freed from slavery in the land of Egypt and been shown the power of God through all the uh, wonders that he did in the plagues against uh, Egypt and the Egyptians. And here they are trying to figure out if that same powerful God is going to continue to lead them or did he leave us? This is the same type of thing where uh, you have this struggle to understand what, who has the power? Who gets the glory? Who's going to carry these things out? Who's going to see us through? And while Jesus and his disciples are up on the mountain, the people down at the foot of the mountain are trying to figure out who has the power? Who has authority in this world? How does that get played out for the future. Another story comes to mind. It's a story that is uh, 
after this time. It's one that comes from the book of Acts, and I want to read that for you. It comes from Acts 19. Listen to what it says there. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, so a very similar circumstance, uh, a demon-possessed person in both stories, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. These are the people trying to cast out the demon. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Here you've got a story of uh, another circumstance where there is someone possessed by a demon and there's a bit of a conflict. These people thought that, these seven sons of Sceva thought that they could just invoke the name of Jesus and that would be enough to do it. Maybe if you say those words, and obviously uh, the demon uh, basically laughed in their faces and gave them uh, quite a beating. It wasn't enough just to be able to say, in Jesus' name, I... And that's where our story is today as well. There's this problem. It's an age-old problem, really. Uh, who has the power? Who has the authority? And who gets the glory through all of it? All of these things already in Mark's Gospel have been clearly established. And not just in Mark, but in all the scriptures from before. Jesus has been revealing uh, the power and the glory and the authority already. And it's been challenged and he has answered uh, very well in those circumstances. So you have this problem here of people trying to figure out exactly what is the problem uh, and they're arguing about it. And Jesus comes in and after a little bit of a dialogue gives the people a really sharp rebuke. I don't know if that surprises you. And especially when Jesus says, O oh, faithless generation, 
Other translations would say, O unbelieving generation, you faithless, unbelieving people. Now, there's a reason why he says that. But you can already imagine, as we've talked about, how you're going to react. And I want you to keep that in mind. Jesus has a crowd of people, including the father of a demon-possessed boy who cannot speak. He cannot hear. And the demon has the power over him to basically throw him into a grand mall seizure whenever he wants. And you have the disciples there that have already tried to cast the demon out. And Jesus says, in the hearing of them all, O faithless generation, there's already been uh, evidence that people have a lack of faith when it comes to Jesus. Uh, And I might add, Everyone in the crowd has been addressed already. But this is, this is shown up already when you look at uh, what we read earlier from Mark 6. Uh, Jesus said to them, just as, this is Jesus when he's in his own hometown, uh, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about teaching, um, uh, went about among the villages teaching. He marveled at their unbelief. This is this has already been evident, even in his own family. Maybe that's the most difficult to believe to believe that um, your brother. <laughs> Imagine that. Put put yourself in there. Your brother is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. I grew up with him. And all the other townspeople were saying already, isn't he just the carpenter's son? Isn't that Mary's boy? Aren't James and Judas? Those are just his brothers, right? And his sisters are here too. Who does he think he is? Jesus couldn't do any work among his own close relatives in his own hometown because of their unbelief. But they're not the only ones that are disbelieving. There's always these scribes. And and you notice that the argument is coming from the scribes? The scribes are arguing. It doesn't say what it's about, but you can pretty much imagine the scribes, whenever they show up to uh, the, the ministry of Jesus, whether it's him in person or his disciples, they want nothing to do except stir up trouble. So as this father brings his boy to the disciples of Jesus to have them cast it out, you can imagine that they're also questioning their authority because they already question Jesus's. The scribes there are hearing this. Oh, faithless generation. And they're just there to stir up trouble. 
Now, if you heard that sharp rebuke from Jesus, you faithful, uh, or faithless, unbelieving people, and you're one of the disciples, are you questioning whether or not he's talking to you? Do you wonder if those words that are just spoken are supposed to have some sort of direction to me? I think they're probably wondering that because there's already a question brewing in their mind, I'm sure, at this point. The reason why I think the disciples are, are wondering if that rebuke may have been directed at them as well because of what Jesus had said just in the verse after that one. After, after that one there, uh, these, when Jesus is talking about not being able to do a mighty work in his own hometown because of their unbelief, he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And here they are in a situation where they have the opportunity to drive out a demon from a troubled little boy and they're powerless. And they have the authority. Makes you wonder, what happened? And that's, that's what they're going to... That's what they're gonna, They're confused too. They know they've been given the authority and yet here they come and they've, they've already done it in the past. What happened now? Why didn't this work? That's the question that they're going to ask. But you can imagine that these words of faithlessness and unbelief have to be stirring within them as well. These, this uh, particular rebuke, so this, this is now the fourth exorcism that Jesus performed in, recorded in the book of Mark. There, are, there were uh, many others, but this is the fourth recording of Jesus uh, meeting up with demons. And do you notice that this, this encounter is significantly different? In all the other encounters where Jesus met with a demon-possessed person, the conflict was always with the demon or the demons in the case of the man who had a legion. The conflict was always a showdown between Jesus and the powers of evil. That's not the focus here this morning. That's not what Jesus is drawing the people's attention to. The conflict comes... Because of a lack of faith. You ever wonder why uh, you get repeat stories in Scripture? Why? So maybe you read this story. We've already read of three other exorcisms that Jesus performed. Why, why put in another one? Well, the focus of this one is different. Uh, significantly different. And it, and it helps us because you and I may never be uh, people that would encounter a demon-possessed person that we would recognize necessarily. 
But we're here to understand where our faith and belief intersects our everyday life in our carrying out the mission of Jesus. These words now, this uh, rebuke, comes with this uh, element of, of time. He says, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? There's something about what Jesus wants them to understand that they need to get straight in their minds now because He's not going to be with them forever. And He's not going to be the one that's going to continue to come to the rescue of faithless people and prove His authority and His power once again. There's a time coming and we're about to uh, really dwell on that here in the next few weeks. There's a time coming where Jesus is going to come to the end of His ministry. And then it's going to be carried on by those that follow Him. How long is Jesus going to have to keep doing this? And it, it makes us wonder then, do we understand what Jesus' ministry is? And do we understand the power that we have, the authority that we have? Not necessarily just to cast out demons. There are those that make a whole ministry of that. And inasmuch as it truly casts out the demon from the, from the person, praise God. But there's so much more to the ministry of Jesus than just uh, casting out a demon, but it is a, a matter of having power over the enemy. It always has been. Because the enemy came and set himself up in the garden and tried to steal power and authority from God. But there's good news in all of this. There is there's help when people don't believe. When, when this uh, story gets to its height, the man brings the boy before Jesus, knowing that the disciples were incapable, for whatever reason, to cast the demon out of the boy and help them. And so the man speaks to Jesus and he says, If you can... I don't know where... He put the emphasis. If you can, or if you can, are you able to do it? Both of those would be addressed, I think, by Jesus' answer. If you can, Jesus said. All things are possible for one who believes. Now that's going to raise some questions in your mind too because some of you have prayed believing. Some of you believe that this will happen or that will happen and it hasn't. Is that the problem with the answerer or the asker? The one who will fulfill it or the one who asks to have it done? Where, where's the breakdown in that? 
it's, it's going to be this uh, matter of understanding what belief is, what faith is. Hebrews, Hebrews 11 gives us a little bit of insight into that as well. It says uh, at verse 6, And without faith it's impossible to please him, please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is an absolutely critical part of believing in what that first that God exists, but that he also works in this world and that there is a, a perfect outcome, a good reward for those who seek him. And that's an active seeking lifestyle. Without faith, it's impossible. And so you have this uh, one now that is questioning whether or not Jesus can do this in his life. And Jesus just gives the straight answer. All things are possible for one who believes. That does raise some questions though, right? We, if you've asked for something and you didn't get it, uh, does that mean Jesus failed or you failed? Did you hear what Jesus said though? All things are possible. Paul prayed earnestly three times, Lord, take away this thorn that I've been given, this infliction that I have. Take this away from me. Jesus, as he's facing the cross, Lord, if it's possible, Father, if it's possible. It wasn't possible. It was not possible for Jesus to avoid the cross. But all things are possible for the one who believes. So everything that God wants to do is possible for you if you believe. It is possible. It is possible that Ray could have gotten the, the best news that he was hoping for. Ray, do you believe that that was possible this past week? It is absolutely possible. What we don't understand, what we wrestle with is, why didn't I get what I asked for? Is it that I needed... Bigger faith? Because Jesus said if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the, the, the quantity of your faith isn't the question. That does have an impact at times, but it doesn't matter if you have small faith or big faith. It's the object of the faith that makes all the difference. And that's where this man, the boy's father, is in relationship with Jesus. If you can. And he, he experiences a, a bit of belief. They couldn't. Could you? He wants to believe. He can't quite get there yet. But he, but he recognizes he didn't go to one of the other disciples. He didn't go to Peter, James, or John. The other nine failed. The man didn't turn to Peter, James, or John. He went to Jesus and said, if you can, even in his doubt, the one he addresses is correct. And so that declaration that the, comes from the Father uh, is, is the correct answer. If, if you can... 
And Jesus works with that. For me, that's good news. Even in my unbelief, when I turn to Jesus for the help to believe, He will always answer that. He wants you to believe. And when you don't, and when you ask Him, He will help you believe. So the man says, I, I, I do believe. But I know I'm not where I need to be yet. Could you help me with the rest of my belief? My lack of faith yet. My unbelief. Could you help me? And Jesus works with that. Now the, the, the scribes that are there that only want to stir up trouble, they're not even asking for that. They don't want to share in the ministry of Jesus. They see Jesus as the threat. So when the rebuke comes, you faithless generation, they choose to respond, as we continue to see in the, in the reactions of the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of the, the Jewish people, they continue to react and respond negatively. They could choose. They could choose to believe as well. And you'll see hints of that in the rest of the story of Jesus as well. Even a Roman soldier has this moment where he begins to believe. And how you choose to respond then will make all the difference. And so the Father is acknowledging that. I, I do believe, but I need, I need help. The disciples, once again, get the private lesson. And maybe... Maybe they wait until they have time in private so they're not so embarrassed because they've been given the authority and it didn't help the situation. So now that everybody's gone, Jesus, could you tell us why we couldn't do it? Jesus' answer is simple. This kind could only be driven out by prayer. Nothing but prayer. And that always struck me. Because when you look at the story here, did Jesus stop to pray first? He didn't. But Jesus was a praying man, was He not? He, he regularly went off and prayed by Himself. He spent time in communion and fellowship with His Father. Jesus was a man of prayer. And of all people, why Jesus? But Jesus was a man of prayer. He had this intimate relationship with His Father and recognized that He was there to carry out the will of His Father. So Jesus didn't need to stop and pray in the moment. Jesus was a man of prayer already. He had a life uh, on display before His disciples of being in intimate fellowship with the Father and trusting in the plan that has been laid out. Because if, it was, if Jesus would have stopped and prayed, I wonder what we would think. If Jesus would have stopped to pray and then it happened, then you and I might think, 
All I need to do is pray and then rebuke the Spirit and it'll happen. But Jesus is getting at what, what prayer is here. Prayer is that intimate fellowship with the Father, trusting in the will of God, seeking for Him to act in a way that brings glory to His name, not our own. It's an interesting story, but there are lessons for us in this today. By now, you and I should have been able to identify with somebody in the story. I like to keep that in the back of my mind. I try to, or at least bring myself to think about that when I've looked at a passage for a bit. If I had to be one of the characters in there, which one would I resonate with the most? It's never Jesus, by the way. Sometimes I feel like the scribe. Maybe, maybe that's the one you identify with. The one who's there but doesn't understand the mission of Jesus and only seems to be stirring up trouble. There are Christians like that. There are God-fearing people that seem to only stir up trouble when it comes to the power and authority and mission of Jesus in the world. Maybe you're like the father or the son. The boy with the, the evil spirit within him or the father who lives with the child and wants this to be removed. Maybe you're in that position where you feel like the enemy is gaining ground in your life. And you don't know where to turn and wherever you have turned, it hasn't worked and you're just at the end of your rope seeking for help. But you're not sure if Jesus can do anything for you. You hope so. Maybe you're a disciple of Jesus. And yet you often feel powerless to carry out the ongoing ministry that Jesus gave to His disciples. To go out and make more disciples. To go out and uh, preach a message to those who are lost. Help those who are in need. Maybe you're the disciple and you feel powerless to do that. I have good news for all of you. It doesn't matter where you are in the story. You have the opportunity to choose how you will respond. Will you respond like the scribes did and just seemingly continue to stir up trouble and never really settle on whether or not he really has the authority or not. If you respond and you accept the fact that Jesus has proven his case over and over and over again, he will still accept your starting point of faith and work with you. If you feel overcome by the enemy, there is really good news. 
Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the enemy. I have overcome death and evil. Jesus already has the victory in that. So if you find yourself in that place where the the enemy seems to be gaining ground in your life, in your heart, your mind, you can choose yet to put your trust in Jesus and believe Regardless of how small that faith might be, He can work with you. And if you want to expand the kingdom, if you want to carry out the mission as one of Jesus' disciples, and you often feel powerless to do so, that same cry of the Father is available to you and I. I believe, I believe He's given the church the responsibility and the call to go out and let the kingdom expand in the name of Jesus. And I don't get exactly what that's going to be like. But I believe He still uses you and me today. You and I have the opportunity to choose like the Father and gain the victory over the evil one and evil around us. It's just a matter of putting your belief in the right person. It is a struggle. And the different setbacks that we all experience contribute to that struggle to believe. But there is victory always in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we do acknowledge before you again today that while we do trust You, there are times when our trust seems shallow or weak and maybe even doubting our own faith. And so we pray too that while we acknowledge that we do believe, we need help yet with our own unbelief. And we trust that You have absolutely have proven to us over and over that by faith we will be able to conquer every enemy that stands before us as well. By faith we can continue to prevail in this world and bring honor and glory to your name. By faith all things are possible for us. We believe that. Lord Jesus, help our unbelief. Amen.